0: Well, good morning and welcome all those if this is your first time gathered together to worship with us. We give you a special welcome and it's great to see each of you next week. I will begin a new sermon series, Lord willing, called Why Bother with the Church? And on the front end of that, I plan to give the church family as part of the intro to the sermon, an update on the sabbatical the church uh, just granted to my wife and I of eight weeks Uh, We returned last week. This is my first week back preaching God's word to you on a very special Sunday where we can rejoice as a church family at God's faithfulness to us. Uh, I know that some of our people are out hunting this week and others are traveling. Uh, We would never embarrass uh, first-time guests, but I will maybe embarrass old members. So this church has had... Two pastors, two lead pastors. Uh, Pastor Jeff Musgrave, who served since the founding of the church, and then in August 2010, this church voted on me to serve as their next lead pastor. So we have been here. I've been preaching since uh, the first Sunday in November 2010. If you were here before me, I don't know how else to divide this simply, Uh, and this will include Sean and Shannon as well. If you were here, before I was the lead pastor. Can you just raise your hand and keep it up? Okay, That is quite a bit. And I just want to um, not to embarrass you. Thank you for your faithfulness along this pathway and journey. How many of you have been here since? And this, the, the hands are going to get thinner. Uh, so that was 2010. How many of you have been here uh, before 2000? Before 2000, boy, the, the, the ranks were diminished on that one. Good. Are you starting to see the age discrepancy now as well? How many of you were here in 1995? Basically the same group. <laughs> the same group. Good. Rebecca, you know that's right. I saw your dad in one of the pictures. And then how many of you were were here when this building was first put up? Is it only April? Merv and Bernie. Cubics, maybe Are they, they're not in here. He's back there. Are you raising your hand? I can see you silhouetted by the window. Okay, well done. And thank you uh, for your faithfulness uh, and your perseverance. And as, as Mike even mentioned in his testimony, you have been through a lot of change. And we thank you for reflecting God's faithfulness to this church. And I'm also very thankful for those who have been here for less than a year. And I know on behalf of the other elders and the elder team and this church, we thank you for joining us. And you get to celebrate this day with us, too. It means it may not feel as though it means as much to you, but it really does, especially as we get into the series, Why Bother with the Church? Because we are now postured and poised for really a whole new chapter of ministry that I am very excited about as we look forward. There are occasions in Scripture when God's people have been told to remember something. To remember God or remember God's works. That's the works that God has done. Uh, When you think about human memory, it's a fascinating thing, right? The way that the memory works. And maybe those of you who have been here from 1995 and before, and the way the memory doesn't quite work sometimes. uh, It's intriguing to me. Even as I approach 53, the memory is not as sharp, uh, we might say, as, as it used to be. For example, do you actually remember something, the original event, or are you remembering an edited memory of that event? Are all true mem- memories really a memory of the original, or are you remembering your last memory of that memory that was probably borrowed from another memory? Have I lost you already? Researchers are documenting how the human mind can reinvent, distort, exaggerate, or even create a memory, especially when that memory has been something of trauma personally. Do you know what your earliest memory is? Can you remember? One of my children asked me in the last several months uh, as she was doing some study and research Um, Do you remember the last time you played with a childhood toy and it no longer interested you? It's kind of sad, isn't it? Like the last time you played with that yellow Tonka truck and you're like, hmm, it's really not interesting. me." And you're starting to make that transition into uh, growing up and maturing. Many people link aging with memory loss. However, the memory loss people experience as they age Is because they tend to exercise their brains less. Okay, sleep is is significant to memory, especially in the long-term storage of memories. And I know this one: your memory has the ability to associate a certain scent with a particular occurrence or event, especially childhood. Okay, so this is hopefully this won't sound strange to everybody. The smell of cow manure in rural America reminds me of my childhood. It's like, ah, that smells great, right? Now, don't view me through that lens from this point on, but because we, I grew up for the first ten years of my life in Bedminster, Pennsylvania, they still only have one stop sign, and it's rural Pennsylvania where they raise dairy cattle. And that was the scent of my childhood, And so when I smell that, it's not like, oh, what's that? That's so disgusting. It's like, ah, boyhood. You know, so memory can be triggered by scent. It's possible you can remember the good of the good old days, but forget how difficult and bland those days really were. That's why it's so easy to talk about the good old days. Quote, not me, someone else. Not only is my short-term memory bad, but so is my short-term memory. Right. Or I would write it down to help me remember, but there's a good chance I'll what? Right. I'll forget where I wrote it. Okay, when it comes to remembering God's goodness, God's faithfulness, why do we set a service aside like this to to remember the faithfulness of God is because when it comes to remembering his ways and I fall into this category, when it comes to remembering his faithfulness, we can be especially forgetful. Or we could call it spiritual Amnesia. For example, in Exodus chapter 14 and 16, you do not need to turn there. I I will have you turn to a psalm here in a few minutes. But in Exodus chapters 14 and 16, we see the Israelites delivered from slavery, right? Through the signs and the wonders, through the last sign and wonder, which is the death of a firstborn, right? There's actually a feast. So they don't forget that. It's called the Passover when the death angel passed over the doors that had the blood on the side posts and the top posts. And there is an exodus, an exiting, going out. And they immediately confront a water hazard, the Red Sea. No sooner do we turn the page after they cross through on dry ground and we see them grumbling, complaining about the menu in the wilderness. And as we read it, I mean, our humanity can take over, and we actually get frustrated with them, because when we observe other people's lives, it seems so clear, doesn't it? Look, look at what God just did. Can't He then provide anything He wants for you in the wilderness? Well, this is exactly why in Exodus 13:3, Moses said to the people, "Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt." Out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Remember that. Why? Because you're going, to be, you're going to face difficulties. There's going to be times when you doubt. There's going to be times when you wonder if God is near or not. So remember that particular day. And then after shaking our heads at the Hebrews' unbelief and complaining, we remember something we remember that we also forget, don't we? We forget God's faithfulness. We, I forget the way God has done amazing things in my life, and I tend to forget that and become the grumbling person that I see in the Old Testament. It's important that we remember and that we share with the next generation the stories and events of God's faithfulness. We're the ones to pass that Along. In Joshua chapter 3, we read of another miracle, a second water hazard that the Hebrews face when they approach the Jordan River. On their way from Egypt to Canaan, they come along the river. Now, the Red Sea, this is interesting, the Red Sea represented an exit. We know it as the Exodus. But the Jordan River represented an entrance into now the land that God had deposited to them through a promise. At the sea, the enemy is behind them, closing in. That would be fearful. At the river, the enemy is in front of them, crossing over into it. That would also be fearful. As a matter of fact, the book of Joshua recounts this, that, that even these highly trained military men went in and most of them came back faithless. In Joshua three five, this is what Joshua says. Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders Among you. And the wonder is that God caused the Jordan River to sort of heap up on one side, and they would pass through into the promised land on dry ground. Joshua chapter 4, listen to what Scripture says. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. That's interesting. They take up a stone out of the middle of the river and they bring it up to their campsite, if you would, and it gets to have a sleepover, right? So there's your stone spending the night in the campsite. Verse 4, Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder. So it's a sizable stone. They're passing forward this ark of the covenant, which represents the presence of God, is with them. And he says, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. Listen to what he says next. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them. And this is very instructive. You know, what, you know what the parents are supposed to tell the children? You know what the tribal leaders are supposed to pass down to the next generation? It's nothing about Joshua and his good or poor leadership. It's nothing about his predecessor Moses and his better or poorer leadership. It's not about any tribal leader who was most effective or least effective. It says this, Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it, the ark of the Lord, the symbol of the presence of God, passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Do you know, it is not a miracle that we paid off Our mortgage. It's just not. It was our responsibility. And those of you who are newer entered into that responsibility that was initiated before you even came here. It's not a miracle. Just like you paying off your house mortgage is not a miracle. It's a matter of righteousness. It's a matter of meeting your obligations. But I do believe it's a memorial for us. It's a testament of God's faithfulness being seen to this local assembly through ordinary people. People that aren't here anymore with us. People that are here with us. And some people that are very new with us. It is a memorial. And I believe it can be a memorial to our children. And in that, this is the memorial. Remember God's faithfulness. To be faithful is to be reliable, or steadfast, or unwavering. The Scripture speaks of faithfulness in four ways. First, as an attribute or a perfection of God. He is faithful. It also speaks of it as a positive characteristic of some people. And I have seen that. I can put names on a list where I have seen God's faithfulness through these personalities, through this life, through this testimony, through this example. It also speaks of it as a characteristic that many people lack. And fourthly, it speaks of it as a fruit of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. This is a memorial for our church in the sense that it shows, in many ways, that most of the congregation will never know behind the scenes, but fully God's faithfulness in keeping us. Our debt is a complex story, in part because it involves, you're not going to be surprised by this, people, right? It's a complex, a lot of people. And with that, there is always a mix of faithfulness and unfaithfulness. It involves choices, a variety of good choices, and at times less than good choices. It involves stewardship, wise stewardship, and sometimes unwise stewardship. And it involves change. those who have been here the longest know of all the change that we have gone through. Seasons of growth and plateauing. Seasons of unity and disunity. Seasons of abundance and extremity. Seasons of joy and fear. And now a new season of opportunity and potential and excitement. And yet above it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly God's faithfulness has been seen and experienced. That's where our focus needs to be, and here's why. Our focus needs to be on God's faithfulness because Scripture says this in Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not man that He should lie, or a son of man that He should change His mind. Has He said, and will He not do it? Or has He spoken, and will He not fulfill it? In Proverbs 20, verse 6, it says this, There's many a person who proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful person, who can find? Paul asks this question. Out of all people, the Jews, he asks this. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. And he says this in Romans 3.10, same chapter, none is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.12, no one does good, not even one. In 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. And that is why we focus on God's faithfulness. And so we remember God's faithfulness as a memorial and we praise God for His faithfulness. Quickly, I just want you to look at a few verses in Psalm 33. Please open to that Psalm. We finished our summer in the Psalm series last Sunday, but I think it's appropriate to turn to a book, the book in our Bible that means in Hebrew praises, praising God for his faithfulness. And in verse 33, it begins with three verses Inviting us to praise God and ends with three verses expressing trust and confidence in God. It actually forms it into a prayer. Look at verse 1. Like permission to show emotion. Ready? That's what Psalm 33 does. Um, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Right? The words uh, unity. uh, The word unity has been brought up several times today. Now the word shout. I was watching the Penn State whiteout game yesterday and when they when they sort of pan across the entire stadium and you see these little white what are they little pom-poms or t-shirts and of course I'm born in eastern Pennsylvania so I still follow Penn State and everybody in unison shouting for what for a football team right and to see that and I thought of Psalm 33 when we in unity are supposed to gather together, not as our own little like silo church. You know, the most important thing in the world is what we're doing right here. Or we interpret all eschatological events because we're American and we only see America in that. But we, we, we never look at Somalia or any other country. It's always about us, us, us and the unity. It's supposed to honestly look like that an evangelical outreach of a whiteout at Penn State Cheering for a real champion. It doesn't mean we can't cheer for football. I'm just saying that's lesser. You have the lesser and the much greater that you don't even want to really compare them. But for sake of illustration, I mean it makes the picture. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous, verse 1. Praise is fitting. It befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. That's a small U-shaped stringed instrument. Make melody to Him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. That's what biblical praise looks like. Vocally, the first word, shout. The last word of verse 3, loud shouts. With a specific attitude, verse 1, joy. Verse 2, thankfulness. With a variety of instrumentation, this is not exhaustive. It invites you to praise God with a variety of instrumentation. A matter of fact, Psalm 150 expands that to even more instrumentation, including loud cymbals, but not even that list is exhaustive. With a variety of instrumentation, verse 3, played skillfully and characterized by a new song. It's an interesting word that I think applies To us this morning, the term new song is used six times in Psalms, one time in Isaiah, twice in Revelation. A new song is simply not new in style. I mean, it can be, but that's not what new means. It simply means a new reason to praise God. Or a fresh act of God in the history of redemption. Certainly, us paying off our mortgage is not a fresh act of God in the history of redemption. But it is a new reason for us as a local congregation to praise God. It's simply a new occasion for rejoicing. Today we celebrate paying off a debt. If I could tell from by the hands raised, paying off a debt most of us have been under, including myself, since we have been members of Highlands Baptist Church. It's a big deal. I have just visited six different local churches during the eight weeks of sabbatical, and this hits me. Not only do we have very nice facilities, upkept, upgraded, but our location is incredible for ministry, for outreach. Incredible potential, much untapped, but it's there To reach, if you just look out, all these rooftops here and then all the rooftops in Highlands Ranch. And we're doing this not alone. There are other churches out there preaching Jesus Christ, putting forward the gospel and making disciples who are shouting out loud for the fame of Jesus Christ. We're not alone, but we're a necessary part. If you just look out and pan this entire area. A new song to God is praise offered with new excitement and fresh expectations and I love what Joshua told the people tonight consecrate yourself for tomorrow God's going to do a great work among you God takes his people and their their expectation of him in readiness and holiness to be able to be ready to work for him the reason it is fitting for the upright to praise God verse 1 is explained in verses 4 to 9 and I just want to look at one verse look at verse 4 i mean there's a cluster of words Upright. He's upright. He's faithful. He's righteous. He's just. He's steadfast in love. But look at verse 4. The one motivation I want to highlight for remembering God's faithfulness is this. All His work is done in faithfulness. Now look at the last line of the psalm, verse 22. Remember, it's a praise song, but now it it takes the shape of a prayer. Verse 22, let your steadfast love, O Lord. Even as we move, we set up a memorial. It's almost as if we set up rocks this morning through three different testimonies. And now we pray this as we move into this next chapter. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Quickly, four practical ways to apply this. As we celebrate the paying off of our debt, think about some events. And I'm putting this down even this morning on the back patio. I need to do this for my own soul. When we lose hope, when we get discouraged, but a, but a fresh new opportunity to praise God as a local church, as this family of faith, Write down some events that you can look back on as memorials marking a defining moment when God showed His power and care in your life. I had a Facebook memory jump up at me last week. It was about my oldest son. It was about a time when he bought his own calculator and somebody came through and a teacher found out uh, and ended up paying for his calculator for him. And it it was at the time... Uh, a very sweet, sweet time to see God's intervention in his life in a small way, in the way that he was praying. And I reshared that only to him. I took a screenshot of it. And he texted back and he said, I forgot all about that. That was an amazing thing. Like when your children ask, tell them of the works of God. Write down those times when He has intersected your life in such memorable ways. And not only encourage your own heart, but share them with each other. As Psalm 72:12 says, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Secondly, as we celebrate the paying off of our debt, thank God for his faithfulness. Even just a simple thank you, God. Thank you for the way you have blessed us. Right. Even financially as a people to be able to do this. Like David said, or Solomon said, who who am I and what are my people that we have been really blessed like this to be able to offer so willingly these gifts back to you. Psalm 9 verse 1 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount, remember, run through my list all of your wonderful deeds. Do you know on top of that list ought to be the debt Christ already paid for you? That is not a forced parallel, with the exception that we could pay off the debt to the bank, but we could never pay off our debt, the wages of which is death to God. And I think as as we have the joy and the freedom of being untethered to that monthly payment that you have given towards and almost the entirety of what Ambleside pays every month pushed towards debt acceleration. As we are freed from that, it is not—it is not a false forced parallel to say. Remember the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ because of the debt He forgave you. Colossians two thirteen to fourteen says this: He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Third, as we celebrate the paying off of our debt, tell others of God's goodness. The gospel. You could actually use this incredible memorial as a local church and segue right into telling someone the good news of Jesus Christ and the debt that can be canceled through Him. God is faithful, 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. As the old hymn says, for nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Joshua 4.21, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. It is God who did it. Lamentations 3.22-23, tell of his faithfulness because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. I needed his new mercies this morning. Personally, my heart needed to remind my. I needed to preach a sermon to me before I could preach to you this morning. Because the steadfast of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And that is good news to be shared. And finally, as we celebrate the paying off our debt, nurture an eternal perspective on life. It's interesting how Jesus trained his disciples. He came out after a long day of confronting the religious leaders and then telling several parables. And he's... he's probably weary and he's about to move towards Bethany and as he comes out Mark records this in Mark chapter 13 1 to 2 and as he came out of the temple one of his disciples said to him look teacher what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings by the way there was a time when God used the tabernacle and the temple and the synagogue and even furniture pieces the Ark of the Covenant he has used those things and can bless those things the disciples pointed to him Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. In in essence, Jesus was more interested in the heart of his people than the beauty of a place of worship. And that is instructive for us because what we have here is to be stewarded, but it's not to be hoarded. And as we we have what we have here, we launch forward, hopefully we tap into more of the potential that we sit on and actually see it realized for effective ministry in this community and in this city from the neighborhood to the nations. A perspective that looks forward to last passage this morning, Revelation chapter seven, verses nine to ten. He said, John says this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's why we bother with the church. That's why this is a memorial. That's why this is such an exciting day for us.